preparing, it's become clear that these two preachers uh, kind of tied together somewhat. Uh, I appreciate some of you won't be here next week, but um, t- to get the whole flavor of what I want to say, you kind of need both bits of this. I just realized that as I get older, I, I, as I'm preparing preaches and you open up the word, it's like you, you realize that you, you, you take it in isolation at your peril, and you have to get the full flow of a text to understand where it's coming from and what it means. And I, I, I just so enjoy preparing. It, it's like, uh, it used to be really hard work many, many years ago, but, but now I just love preparing preachers. I, I just, great. And uh, yeah, you know, and, and as I'm doing this one, I'm already thinking of next week and I know my points for next week. Great fun. Anyway, Mark chapter 11 uh, we're looking at verses 19, that can't be, 19 to 26, I think my, uh, yeah, 19 to 26, sorry, I've got 19 to 16 written in front of me, which is backwards. I've, what are you feeling backward this morning? Um, 19 to 16, uh, that's not right, 19 to 26, uh, and then next week I go from verse 26 through to uh, verse 12 of chapter 12, but to give context uh, this morning, I want to read from verse 12 of chapter 11 to 14, and then verses 19 to 26, and you'll see why in a moment. So, uh, Mark 11, verse 12. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, that's speaking of Jesus, and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if it, he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now we go on to verse 20. As they passed by in the morning, that's the following morning, uh, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that forgive if you've anything against anyone so that your Father, who is also in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. I have four points. Ooh. I, I, I nearly said I'm going to have an introduction and three points, uh, because my next three points are, are all begin with the letter F, but I just thought no. So the story, then we have fruitfulness, faith, and forgiveness. So here's the story. We just need to unpack the story a bit just to get the context again. Uh, Jesus, he'd ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey. Uh, and as he did that, people had laid on the road leafy branches and, and taken their cloaks off and laid them down like a, a special carpet to welcome him into Jerusalem. A bit like we re- lay out a red carpet for royalty or special guests. Um, it's a sign of welcome and honor, and that's what was going on. And we're told that when Jesus got to the temple, he went in and had a look around, and clearly uh, what he saw there greatly displeased him. And he, but as it was late, he left, went back to Bethany, went off to Bethany to stay the night. And, and then the next morning, he comes back to Jerusalem. And, and uh, he, he comes back, he turns over the, the temples. Uh, sorry. The, the third morning, the three mornings, It's the first morning, it's the second morning when he goes back to the temple and turns over the 
money changers. And the third morning, he's come, it's after that, and he's coming back, and he's hungry. And uh, you, you wonder, it depends which you read, just to explain this. If you read it in Matthew, he does all the fig tree in one go. Okay? He curses the fig tree and all of that, and then goes into the temple. But if you're in the Mark one, he actually curses the fig tree, goes into the temple, uh, and then we have this other bit at the end, the next morning, about uh, what it means and having faith in God. So this, this Jesus is hungry, and he's, he's, going, he's going along. I like that Jesus is hungry. Maybe he'd had no breakfast. Do you ever miss your breakfast? Perish the thought. Anybody miss their breakfast? Yes? Who, who never has breakfast? See, see? Apparently I'm told it's the right meal to have at the beginning of a day. Anyway, whatever it was, Jesus was hungry. He's on his way into Jerusalem. And uh, he sees a fig tree, a fig tree just up the road and we're told that it's not the time of figs, but this fig tree is in leaf. And I've been reading into it, and as Simon, uh, like Simon did last week, and it's clear that a healthy fig tree, once the leaves start to appear, it's like a pre-fruit grows with it. And that pre-fruit um, is edible, uh, and it's a sign of a healthy tree. And it's also a sign that, that, that will produce proper figs later on. Interestingly, in the Middle Eastern climate, a fig tree can produce fruit up to three times a year. So it, it, to come to a fig tree in leaf that has no, um, no sign of fruit is very rare. There'd be some sign, there'd be some pre-fruit, there'd be something. There's nothing. And this pre-fruit apparently is very edible. And Jesus, it, it just says, you're fruitless. Totally fruitless. And so we read that Jesus curses the fig tree, and then walks on. And then he goes into the temple and overturns the tables of the money changers and saying, is it, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? And of course, that upsets everybody, upsets the, the chief priests and the scribes. Now, the scribes, now, God doesn't live in buildings. He used to live in the Holy of Holies in the temple where the ark was, although the ark wasn't there by then. God doesn't live in buildings. Who's the temple? What is the temple of God today? We are. We are the dwelling place of God. We're the place where God lives. Not just Jubilee, (laughs) right? The church, the people of God are his dwelling place. We're his community and, and people from the earth, from every tribe and nation, are invited to come to be part of this temple through faith in Jesus Christ. And in this temple, we pray for the nations. We pray for all the people groups as we gather together. And also, which we do, we have other nations here, but actually also, this is the place where we pray together and we pray for and we reach out to every tribe and nation. The Great Commission, go into all the world, making disciples of all nations. The the temple is always, always always about nations. It's about the heart of God for the whole world. It's not just a building. 
We, we kind of like holy places, don't we? Anybody like holy places? Some? How, how many of you like to go into cathedrals? I like to go into cathedrals. They stand as a monument to, to the work of God throughout history. I'm not in any way despising. But God doesn't live in a, a building. If you look at some of the history of those buildings, you'd think, wow, this is dreadful. Okay? It's not a building. We, we like to make a holy place. If we're, we're, there was a church I led, I, I won't say it by name, and when we walked into the worship area, it was called the sanctuary. And you had to be in the sanctuary. You couldn't do certain things in the sanctuary. And I had to blow up that sacred cow, right? Because it's just a building. It's just a room. Because it's not the building, it's the people of God. Yeah? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, Jesus said. And he's not just talking about the temple. Yes, that was the beginning of it. He's talking about a people from every tribe and nation. And in this house... This dwelling place of God, of, of made up of all these people, it's a pl- place where all the nations of the world come to pray, to pray for the world, and to reach out to the world. That's what we're a part of today. Now, I like nice buildings, and I, I, there's some sense of awe and magnificent places, but never think we have to recreate that. We never have to recreate the old temple in Jerusalem and have holy places. This is a most sacred place we're in right now, because we're here. Do you get it? Very important. Otherwise, we can only pray when we go to a sacred place. As soon as you say, well, God lives in that room, we've got to go into that room to meet him. But it's where we are that God lives. That can be in any room. That can be in any home. That can be in any place. Now, these few verses about Jesus cursing the fig tree have become quite controversial among theologians. All sorts of theories have been proposed as to what it's about. Some have suggested that God must hate figs. God doesn't like figs. Anybody like figs? Anybody not like figs? Yeah, see this? Yeah, yes. It wouldn't be my favorite fruit, really. Anyway, I don't think it's about that. Others have suggested that Jesus is simply demonstrating his authority over nature. Okay. Traditional, sorry, traditional reformed theology thinks, sort of states that this event is a sign given by Jesus of the end of the exclusive covenant of God with Israel. We are, by and large, of a reformed mindset in New Frontiers. If you've done New Frontiers leadership training, you will likely have been taught from this scripture that that is the case. Um, And I personally find that sort of interpretation highly spurious uh, at best. It's amazing how we get a doctrine and then we try and make scripture fit it. It's not how we use the Bible. That's not what we're supposed to do. We have to run with what the Bible says. And it doesn't always say what we want it to say. I'm utterly convinced that if this fig tree passage was just about Israel, then it would be very clearly said so. But it's something much more. It's something much more. Israel is referred to 
in Scripture many times as a fig tree, but it's also referred to as a fruitful vine. It's also referred to as an olive tree. There are clearly end-time prophecies that talk about Israel as a fig tree. But let's not make Scripture say something it doesn't. This encounter had very little to do with God's covenant with Israel. Jesus goes into the temple, causes a stir, turning over the tables and the money changers, but all he says is they've made it a house of robbers, a den of thieves. It's to be called a house of prayer. He messes it up and said, this isn't what my people are about. This isn't what my dwelling place is about. My dwelling place is about prayer, about communion with God, about calling out to God for the nations. My, my dwelling place is a place where people from all the nations come to pray, not to do business. That's what he's saying. There is a lesson, though, for us to learn. There's a number of lessons, but one of them is this. God's always looking for fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. Matthew brought this. That. Where's Matthew? Is he going to? Oh, there you are. Sorry. <laughs> I thought your word about harvest. Fields are white into harvest. God's always looking for fruitfulness. Everything God made grows all by itself, it seems, because of the sun, because of the, the rain. It's about fruitfulness. It's God's intention. And there's things for us to learn about it here. Let me just go through a few scriptures. God made the heaven and the earth and everything in it. In Genesis 1, 26 to 28, we read this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God says something similar to, to Noah in Genesis chapter 9, after the flood. Then in Genesis 17, verses 1 to 8, we read this. When Abraham was 99 years old, there's hope for me yet. The 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will in greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you, and your descendant after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. And God says similar things to Ishmael, Isaac, and Jacob. We haven't time. And then we go on. You could look right through the Old Testament at fruitfulness, fruitfulness, fruitfulness. And then in the New Testament, we come when Jesus talks about fruit in the Gospel of John. 
And he says this in John 15, 4 to 6, Abide in me, and I in you. That word about rest, I thought it was so good, Rob. Rob's word about resting in God, not away from God. I thought it was great. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Just comment on that briefly. When we're talking about fruit, we often think that means I've got to work hard and achieve lots of things. It's not about that. It's, I believe it's the fruit of the character of Christ into the world. It's the fruit of the nature of God into the world. It's effectiveness, but it's not about earning anything. It's about abiding in him and letting the fruit grow in us. Then Matthew seven fifteen to 23. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Fruit is key then. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but, not a, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. This could sound harsh, but it's not. It's just God saying, watch, look out for the fruit. Not everyone, he goes on, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. So what's he saying? It's not what you do. You can prophesy, you can cast out demons, you can do ministry. It's not about that. The fruit that he's talking about is the nature of God being formed in our lives. It's the character of God being formed in our lives. How often we think the Christian life is all about doing, being, having profile, being significant, having a ministry. Those things actually don't count. They don't count. What counts is having Christ formed in me. What counts is having the character of Christ formed in you. I'm not despising ministry. I'm not saying those things don't matter. I have a a book probably mentioned it before, called The Making of a Leader, by a guy called Robert Clinton. No relation, I don't think, to the president. Uh, And basically, the whole premise of the book is, is explaining that while we think about all the things we can produce, God is much more interested in forming us, growing our character, that we become more and more like Jesus. What the world needs to meet is not high power ministry. What the world needs to meet is not great prophecy. What the world needs to meet is Jesus in you and Jesus in me. The world needs to know they're loved, they're valued, that they matter, that they're accepted. People came to Jesus, yes, because of all the miracles, but there was something else. 
It was the character of the man. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about fruit. Now, some of that's pretty strong stuff, but you see, today in our Western culture, we love show. Don't we like show? How many of you have been to a show? Any show? How many of you watch the telly? Do you watch all that, those horrible things called the X Factor? And oh, dreadful. Oh, give me the eebie-jeebies, right? Just, you know, it's desperate for me about it. It's that these poor people are desperate to be famous. And you listen to them squawking away and you think, how on earth in your brain do you think that's going to make you famous? It just makes you a laughing stock. And yet we're so desperate to be accepted, so desperate to have a show, so desperate to have profile. That's the world we live in, particularly in our Western culture. We like things to look good. We have plants in our gardens that are cultivated for show rather than fruit. Cabbage. I always thought cabbage was to eat, but apparently you get all ornamental cabbages. What's the point in that? What's the point in a cabbage you can't eat? It doesn't make any sense to me. We even have plastic grass. To confess something, Jean would like our lawn to be plastic grass so she doesn't have to cut it. I do cut it occasionally, but I just think, what's the point? Put concrete down. Paint it green. I remember about a year after I'd taken over the leadership of my previous church, God, God showed me two pictures very clearly one morning. The first was of a garden that looked perfect. You know one of those gardens that you look at and go, wow, do you ever? Wow. No concrete, no concrete at all. Just, it, was, it was amazing. Not a weed in sight. Flower beds had flowers of wonderful colors. Real feast for the eyes. The lawns were perfect, like a bowling green. The trees had fruit just hanging there, waiting to be picked. Perfectly formed, juicy. It was beautiful. And it's, it's then that the Lord sort of took me for a walk through the garden. And, and when I got there, I, I found that it was lifeless. Plastic grass with plastic flowers. The trees were artificial and the fruit wasn't fruit at all. It was just looked the part. Even the soil wasn't real soil. Very vivid picture I had. And the second picture, I had these pictures together one morning. The second picture was of another garden, and it was just bursting with life, but, but it was a bit messy. Plants were pushing up through the path on the lawn. The flower beds were badly organized and laid out. Some nice flowers were there, but others looked as though they were struggling. The, the fruit trees, they, they were tired and old. They were sort of bent over, you know. Still loads of fruit on them, but not perfect. You know, they're a bit scabby and got things burrow into them. You know, that sort of thing. And the lawn. I remember this. The lawn, it had as much moss in it as grass. And there were daisies everywhere. I like daisies. Jean hates daisies. You do hate daisies. She, sorry, she hates daisies on the lawn. Would that be fair? I just think they're pretty. Why spoil a nice daisy? But never mind. 
So needless to say, our garden has no daisies on the lawn. Um, I think I'd go for plastic grass, actually, if they had artificial daisies in them as well. That, that, that would be much better. <laughs> Sorry. This perfect lawn, daisies everywhere. This imperfect lawn with daisies everywhere. Everything was growing, but it was growing in the wrong place. You know, when you've got a path and there's stuff pushing through the cracks and, do, do you know, this sort of thing. You just can't stop this thing growing. Some stiff stuff clearly needed to be moved somewhere else. It seemed impossible, though, to contain the life in this garden and keep it well presented. And then God asked me a question. And it was this, how do you want this church to be? Speaking of my previous church. Do you want it to be well presented and posh but without life? Or do you want it like the second picture, full of real life but messy? And uh, my immediate answer was, well, Lord, I, I, want, I, I want the church to be like the second picture. I, want, I don't want a church that's well presented and posh but you're not there. I, I want something that's bursting with life. And that choice shaped my leadership for the next 13 years. And I I think the church, bless them, didn't quite know what had hit them. Because they'd been there a long time and did things very posh, very ordered. Communion was an amazing thing to see. It was so ordered, it was processional. And it was just like, we did everything right, but... But it was form. I'm not despising it. Please don't hear that. But I felt God say, I want to come and mess up this thing. I want to come and, and, and burst it open. I want to make it full of life. And so that's what we set out to do. You see, we live in a society that seems to value, value image over some substance. If we're not careful, we talk about seeker-sensitive services, which mean we want to make them acceptable and a bit more like entertainment, something that doesn't cringe, not cringe-worthy. Have you ever been to church and it's cringe-worthy? I have, but you know what? I've learned something. God's not so bothered about that as we are, because he's God. Because you can be there in a cringe-worthy meeting, because I've done a few over the years, and you think, oh God, I'd rather not be here, and then somebody gets saved. And you think, how? Because I'm God and you're not? We so value, value image over substance. May that never be true of Jubilee. We want to be fruit bearers for Jesus. We want the life of God amongst us at any cost. We want the fruit of the Spirit working in and through our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the sort of fruit that God is looking for amongst his people. God's not impressed with high-profile meetings. God's not impressed. There's a place for prophecy and all of that. But God doesn't get impressed by big ministry. Why would God be impressed with that which comes from him anyway? God wants us to be like him. To bear the fruit of him, his character, his life, his mercy, his grace. Now you might ask, what's this got to do with the fig tree? Well, everything. Jesus cursed the fig tree because it was fruitless. 
and he cursed the fig tree because he wanted to teach his disciples and us something else. The word cursed in this context has to do with judgment. Imagine being a church that was all show and nobody realized. A lovely building. How many would like to have a, a really lovely building for Jubilee? Uh, I'm, I'm up for that. Comfortable seating. Who'd like to have comfortable seating? I'm told in America you can go to church and you have like armchairs. Many churches, thousands of people, armchairs, places for your coffee. You can sit and enjoy the worship in your armchair. Wow. I quite like armchairs. Lovely building, perfect seating, perfectly behaved children. A perfect worship band with all the parts written out and performed to a high, excellent standard, the singing sounding heavenly and the preaching incredibly well articulated. Just like here. Yeah, yeah, okay. Not really. You see, this part of us think, wow, wouldn't it be great if, if Jubilee was like that? And I'd love the building and I'd love comfortable seats. But you know what? Does that reach a dying world? Does that reach people who have, don't have comfortable seats? Does that reach people with a gospel? I'm not despising excellence. My goodness me. Because in this place, I have this picture, you see, after the meeting. Can you imagine after the meeting? No instant coffee. Be great, wouldn't it be great? No instant coffee. More like a Costa coffee shop with a lovely muffin for everybody. Wouldn't that be great at the end of every meeting, yeah? No? Well, it appeals to me. I don't despise excellence. I don't, for a second, I don't despise good quality. I don't despise doing things well. But let's make the main thing the main thing. The main thing is that God's in the house. The main thing is that Jesus is here. What I, what I, I, I loved this morning was I, I just felt that that as, as you shared about putting God first and keeping God central, I just had the same stirring uh, and, and, uh, and, and then uh, Rob doing the same thing. I felt that was all of the spirit. That wasn't pre-planned. That wasn't something we put together. Who put that together? God did. I love that. that that's God speaking to us. In, in, in might of two or three witnesses, God's saying the same thing. That's the work of the spirit amongst us as a people and you go, wow, God's here. Whereas if you're not careful, you can so plan a meeting and so organize it and so have it all planned that God doesn't get a look in because we're doing it our way. Perish the thought. Perish the thought. I don't come to a meeting. I, get my, I have a, pre, a pre-planned preach. Understand that. But I don't come to a meeting with a pre-plan of how the meeting is going to go. People say, what do you want to do this morning? I said, let's worship and see what God does. Is it risky? Very. Does it sometimes go wrong? Yes. Yes, but who cares? Because we're taking risks with God. 
We're going on adventures with God. We're, we're saying, what's God doing today? Don't you think that's what we're about? That sense of, wow, wow. And to get to that place, we often make a real pig's ear of it. I know I do. Please, though, I, I, please don't, I, I love excellent music. I love well-rehearsed music. I love written out parts. I like to do it really, really well. I like a worship band that meets regularly. This is not having to go at anybody, but that meets regularly and rehearses every week. I like all of that stuff done really, really well, as long as the main thing stays the main thing. Because when you're rehearsed and you do things really, really well, you have loads of flexibility in the spirit. In our society, people are more inclined to look at the leaves on the tree than the fruit that it bears. God help us. How often we measure a church by the size of its congregation. Look at all the leaves on that tree. The question is, is it fruit bearing? Is there any fruit? So I was preparing, looking, not preparing, but looking through this this morning. I, I suddenly was, my attention, was, I was reminded again of the Laodicean church in, in Revelation 3. God says to them, Jesus says to them, I, I wish you were either hot or cold. You're lukewarm and you make me sick. You make me sick. That's heavy stuff, isn't it? That's, that's, but they had it all. They, they had it, well, we have all of this. This is, doesn't impress me at all. Make room for me. Put him central. It's about Jesus and his church. It's about Jesus and his kingdom. Let's move on to faith. Faith. Fruit-bearing faith. When Peter pointed out to Jesus, he said, Lord, look, that fig tree you cursed, it's withered. Jesus says, have faith in God. What a strange reply. I just said the fig tree died. What? Have faith in God? And he goes on, he said, Truly I say, whoever says to this mountain, now, now he's talking about mountains. I was just talking about a fig tree. Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Wow. Wow. Jesus suddenly turns to Peter and and he makes Peter the focus and us the focus. He says to us this morning, have faith in God. Whatever you ask in prayer, if you believe in your heart and do not doubt, it will be yours. What do we do with that? I'm going to spend more on this next week. But it starts with having faith in God. What does that mean? It means we trust God, we rely on who he is and what he's done and live by all that he says and commands. Now faith comes in three main ways. First, there's faith as a gift for salvation. God in his grace gives us faith to respond to the gospel when we hear it and put our trust in him. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. None of us would be born again today if God hadn't reached out to us in his grace and given us faith to respond. That's a work of God. I I didn't do that. You didn't do that. That faith that you had to respond to Jesus was a gift of God to you. 
That's why you can't argue a person into the kingdom. You can, you can explain, you can do many things, but unless there's a gift of faith comes to them where they go, I believe they remain unborn. See, what, they do, what we do in Alpha, Alpha's great, but all we do is open a door in Alpha for faith to come. We, we create an environment where faith comes. We say, we start the discussion, people start to explore, but we're opening a door where God and his grace can give gifts of faith. And people go, oh, I see, I see, I can respond. That's a gift of God. Faith comes. That's the first gift of faith. And it's called saving faith. Then there's faith that is a gift of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 to 10 gives us the most comprehensive list of spiritual gifts. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. And that's not to restrict God, but that's, that's a, it's a comprehensive list. And the Holy Spirit will give these gifts as he chooses to us. We don't own them. They're gifts he brings, the gifts he gives. But the point I want to emphasize is that at certain times when God in his grace just gives faith as a gift, it just comes to you, and you know you, it's going to be. You just know in your heart, God's, God's done it. It's okay. I can believe it. Anybody ever experienced that? One or two? I, you know, you just know. There's loads of things I don't know, but just occasionally, I know. I just think, I know. It's all right, and I'll step out and trust him. It's a gift of faith. It doesn't come from my natural character. It's a gift of God. And there's one, may, one more way that faith comes, and it's found in Romans 10:17. It says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. That's why I'm so passionate about preaching and teaching the word of God. The more we read the word, the more we hear the word, the more our faith will grow. I use the term, the word of God works. Because the word of God will grow faith in your life. You hear what God says. You hear truth. And something in you starts to grow. You know, I, I, just reading how God's dealt with characters before. What he said to Abraham, I have called you. I will make of you. And you then look at history and you start to think, wow. And then God starts to say things about us, which I'm going to look into next week. And you start to dare to believe, hey, I'm the same. He, just, just as he's chosen other people, he's chosen you and me to be very significant in his purposes. And faith grows because we've read the word. Faith grows because of what God said. Faith grows because we're saying, I dare to believe God. This, this little timid boy who grew up, grew up hearing a lot of the word and the word of God bore fruit in me to the point I dare to believe God. And I, I, I just dare to do it. I dared to preach it. Faith is not about our trying harder to believe or doing religious things to try and earn God's favor. True faith relies on God, believes God, and serves faithfully. And as we begin to become, as, as our faith grows, we, we begin to become more courageous in our faith. We start daring to believe that what God says is true. 
even to the place perhaps where we start speaking to mountains and they move. You see, for years I've preached this stuff and people look at me and go, well, I've tried it. I had a chat with that mountain and it's laughing at me. Anybody? And we tried that with her. Well, we need to understand something that we've got to start growing in faith. But I believe what God says is more true than my experience. I believe what God says is more true than your experience. I believe the word of God is true. So when God says you can speak to the mountain and it will move, that's because he means it, not it's wishful thinking. Now where I'm getting to next week is his authority and our authority and faith. That's where I'm getting to next week. But we have to do this first. We have to to look at this and, and, and thinking, out of this seemingly strange thing with this fig tree, and overturning the tables in the temple, God's turning out, turning around and saying to us and saying to Peter and the disciples, now have faith in God because you can do these things. You can speak to mountains and they will move. You can change the world if you have faith. That's what he's saying. It's not just about a mountain. It's about being a people commissioned by God to transform the world. That's what it's about. Are you up for that? Yeah, not much. It, it, I, I've often thought I'd, I'd like to do a preach called Will the, the Real People of God Please Stand Up? <laughs> because, and I don't mean that disparagingly, because I'd be sitting there thinking, well, oh, It's not about what we produce, it's about who God is. Okay? It's not about how clever we are, it's about who God is. And all we need is faith the size of mustard seed, and we can transform the world because of who God is. And what he says is true. So we can believe it, can't we? Now, you're not going to start with a mountain, you might start with something a little bit less huge. I was going to say mountainous, but... Particularly next week, I'm going to look at the issue of authority. Because if we understood the authority we have in Christ, we will change the world. I believe that. And I have days when I'm full of faith for that, and I have days when I feel tired. And I think, God, I've believed this for years. And I touch it, and then it goes away. It's a battle for faith. It's a battle for faith. Dare we believe God? Dare we believe God? Dare we believe that Teesside could be transformed with the gospel? Yeah. Dare you believe that you'll do it? You're sitting there saying, no, we dare to believe that the leadership will do it. No. Not about that. See, that's my problem with ministry on a pedestal. It's the entertainment business. It's we'll go, we'll get fed, we'll go, ooh, ah, isn't that great? Thank you. I'm not despising that, but that's not church. It's the other way around. 
The church is on the platform. The church are famous. It's wow. Look at the people because Jesus is king. Look at what they do, not what he does. If you have faith, have faith in God. I'm going to look at it more next week. I'm just going to finish for a few seconds, two or three minutes on forgiveness. Because actually this is very much part of this. Interesting is put at the end, put at the end of this, this discourse. You think, why has he put that in? Because he puts it in at the end of the Lord's Prayer as well. So there's something important here. The greatest hindrance to effective prayer is unforgiveness in our heart. And the greatest hindrance to the church being effective in terms of faith and action is unforgiveness in our heart. Forgiveness is a choice rather than an emotion. In life, people will hurt us at times. They will irritate us Sometimes they'll do it on purpose. And sometimes just because of who they are. And I'm not saying we shouldn't get hurt. And I'm not saying we shouldn't get irritated. Because we will. But holding anything against someone or a group of people is unforgiveness. You know when it's there in your heart, you've just got it. Things people have said to you, things that have done, and you're holding resentment just there. And you're, you're grieved about it, and you stamp your feet and say, it's not right and it's not fair. Well, it wasn't, so move on. Forgiveness means to let it go. It doesn't mean bend their ear and get, their t- get them to apologize 15 times. It means in your heart you forgive before they do anything. Forgiveness is in the heart. We let it go. We hold nothing against anyone. Be it family, church, work colleagues, anywhere, let forgiveness be gone. A simple question to ask to determine whether we've actually forgiven someone or not is is simply this. Would we gladly help them or serve them if they had a problem? I mean, it's nice to help nice people. Oh, just, you know, Sarush is so nice. We all want to help Sarush. And Matthew. And, uh, but, right. But, but what about someone who's deliberately caused us problems? Someone who's really not very nice. Someone who's offended us deeply. Would we still run to their aid if they had a problem? Or would we say, well, that's just what they deserve? You only know you've forgiven when you can answer that, yes, I will serve them, whatever the cost, whatever it means, because that's what Jesus does. It doesn't mean we have to become best friends with everybody. Perish the thought. Some people we click with and others don't. That's okay. Jesus had Peter, James, and John, and he had John as his best friend. That's okay. Nothing wrong with that, but holding things against people, that's what's wrong. So when we come to pray, it's important that we let go of all resentments and bitterness. When we seek to exercise faith, we need to let go of all resentments and bitterness and get that dealt with because it will hinder our prayers and hinder our faith. It also hinders God forgiving us. 
So what does Jesus say to us today? Have faith in God. That's what he says. Out of all of this message, and it's a big, long ramble, probably needs to be articulated, but maybe I need to write it all down. Have faith in God. And then watch what he will do as we believe him. Yeah? Are we going to do that? Let's stand. Perhaps the band will come back, please. It's going to pray for us. I'm going to ask, I'm going to be cheeky, actually. I'm going to ask, I don't know if you can be cheeky with God, but I'm going to ask for gifts of faith. Are you, are you up for that? Would, would you? Do you want to say in your heart, yeah, God, I, I want to step into all of this. Who, who's, who's up for that? Right, well, let's, let's pray. God, God, as you see our hands in our heart, whether our hands are up or not, Lord, I ask for gifts of faith that will cause us to believe you as a spiritual gift that we just know. I ask for gifts of faith to move us on from here to there, that move us on from, from just looking at mountains to speaking to them, that move us on in our own walk with you. I ask for gifts of faith because, Lord, we, we, we're, we're weak and we're, we're broken, but we, yes, we're saved and we thank you that we're not earning anything from you, but Lord, we want to be your people. We want to do the things that you say we will do. We, we want to fulfill our destinies in you. We want the church to be the people on the stage. We want the church to be the, 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 people, the thing that the, the people look at and go, wow, look at that people. It's a city on a hill where God dwells. We want that to be the, the place. Lord, I pray, pray, let us be that people, not for our glory, perish the thought. We want it for your glory. We want, we want to be the dwelling place of God where God dwells and people see you there. Not just people who go through a form of worship, but a people who live in faith and know the word of God and live by the word of God. Lord, I ask for gifts of faith this week, the coming week, and next Sunday too, that you may be glorified. Amen. Thank you for your patience.